The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Friday morning and welcome to another edition of uh, Analyze This here on your NPR station in the U.S. Virgin Islands and it is the first Friday of the month so y'all know what time it is. We got the power hour. Ah uh, yeah, got something there. We got the power hour in effect for October and I got uh, my co-host for the power hour, uh, Energy Office Director, Chairman of the Governor, the Wapping, WAPA Governing Board. Kyle Fleming in the house. What's up, man? Morning, morning. How you doing? I'm good, man. So we got a whole, um, what's this? Winston Churchill, all the big shot them I got tonight. This morning, I mean, uh, uh. to talk energy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, Winston Churchill is actually my uh, my testimony and, and speech motivation. So there, there, good, there, good reference. There, there. Yeah, reference. yeah, yeah. So let me yield to you and uh, let you let the public know what we're gonna be breaking down this morning. Yeah, well, one um, again, one Virgin Islands. Happy Friday! Uh, Want to start by also uh, introducing that we also have here with me today the Deputy Director for the Virgin Islands Energy Office, Michael Jaffers, as well in the, in the studio. That's good. Uh, we also have uh, I think representing from UVI's Caribbean Green Technology Center, uh, Ariel Stoltz, um, and like overall, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things that are going on in the energy space, I guess first thing to highlight that not only is it the power hour, but it's also the power hour in Energy Action Month. The entire month of October is Energy Action Month. And so I think we'll be talking to a number of the activities and uh, educational outreach and programs uh, that we have launching and are underway in October as well. Uh, not to include our, uh, our recently launched solar financing program and uh, upcoming energy fair that's going to be held on both St. Thomas and St. Croix uh, later this month. And I really wanted to get the uh, community aware and uh, excited about a lot of the engagements and a lot of the different uh, activities that Energy Action Month is going to bring. And uh, Energy Office is looking forward to be uh, a driving force behind a lot of these activities over the next four weeks. Deputy Director, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Talk to the people. Tell the people about yourself for those maybe hearing you for the first time. So uh, this is actually my second time here with you, Neville, mm -hmm. uh, second time speaking with the general public. But um, so I am the deputy director of the Virgin Islands Energy Office, uh, been working with Energy Office since November of last year, uh, came on board just when we were starting our rebate program for the previous year cycle. And we're kind of coming back into that uh, this year. We've been working tirelessly to, to put together a number of programs for the for the public. And we're excited to um, to kind of bring a lot of those to fruition this coming uh, fiscal year. And um, we're very excited to get out in the community energy action month. We have a couple of items planned for this month, uh, as well as moving into the following. So, uh, looking forward to, to getting out there and uh, meeting meeting more people here in the public and, and letting them know about how they can uh, get on board with some of the programs that we have. And who do we have on the line? Hey, um, this is Ariel Stoltz, and I'm from the University of the Virgin Islands Caribbean Green Technology Center, mm -hmm. and I'm also here with Dr. Greg Guanell, who's the director of the Caribbean Green Technology Center. Okay, that's good. Thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Dr. Dr. Guanell, how are you? Good morning, good morning, everyone. Uh, happy to be here. I'm doing very well, thank you. Okay, okay, that's good. So, 
Um, give me some directive here, um, Director Fleming. How you want us to break this down today? Yeah, I think maybe we we can talk through a little bit of the energy fair. I think we can segue that into uh, some of the, uh, the our recent program launches and and uh, outreach for the community as well. Uh, j- maybe I'll, I'll kind of go a little bit on the uh, on, on energy fair just to, and then kind of cycle it into uh, Greg and, and Michael as well to, to, to add any more context. But uh, kind of one of the highlights there is this is also not only is it uh, I think we're looking forward to the energy fair that's upcoming. We're also looking forward to returning to in-person engagements uh, from our uh, education and outreach. I think COVID has certainly uh, limited a a number of the in-person while we did a a number of things virtually. We're really excited to be getting back into the in-person engagement, really bringing information, trying to empower the public to better understand the full spectrum of uh, energy relief that can be provided both through uh, programs that we offer through improved education across the territory and then also better awareness of the support lines from everything from uh, energy efficient appliances to renewable energy development, uh, uh, transportation electrification opportunities, really wanting to make sure that the community again is empowered and and well equipped uh, with the the information and awareness of uh, the resources at their disposal. And I think I'll turn it over to uh, the rest of the team to talk to a little bit more of the details of all of what the energy fair is going to be bringing and who's going to be participating and, and what uh, what the community can expect to get out of it as well. Before we do that, um, Ms. Stokes, tell us about your office and tell us what you provide on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis for the people of the Virgin Islands. Yeah, of course. So um, the Caribbean Green Technology Center, which is part of the University of the Virgin Islands, uh, really focuses on providing research and um, working in academic sphere within the energy field, as well as sustainable materials management, disaster risk reduction and water. And so we have many different research projects uh, that help us to really understand those systems, how they operate here in the Virgin Islands, um, as well as educational outreach programs like the Energy Fair, um, where we're hoping to really spread the word to everyone about some of the results of this research and and also uh, just to share information and and give people a chance to learn more. Okay, good. And uh, Dr. Guanel, um, your your office... Y'all so deal with um, collecting data and dealing with with our resilience, right? Our resilience levels in the territory. Yes, that is correct. Um, as uh, I mentioned, we work on, on a variety of, of different projects. All our projects are tied to the needs of the territory. Uh, we we create a lot of the project, like uh, the one we're working with uh, uh, the energy office. Uh, to sort of respond to some of the needs of the agencies or different groups uh, in the territory. So right now with uh, Director Fleming, we are uh, working on the uh, comprehensive energy strategy for the territory. We're hoping to release that, a draft of this uh, by the end of the year. Um, we are also working on uh, in, with uh, Vaitima on the uh, hazard mitigation and resilience plan. And so to your point, we are collecting uh, a fair amount of data, sharing a lot of data, uh, analyzing different type of, of, of data to, to really understand the situation and then uh, come up with you know strategies that increase our overall uh, resilience. So the, the energy fair is, uh, during the energy fair, we're gonna present a little bit of some of our findings um, during some of the plenary sessions uh, to really try to uh, motivate and help motivate 
some of the discussion about where we're going and the territory uh, in terms of you know energy future. There is a lot of work that Director Fleming will highlight. Uh, we are here to support you know uh, some of his visions um, with you know some of our analysis capabilities uh, and uh, and and sort of present that to the public to sort of start generating discussion about where we want to go as a territory when it comes to energy. Um, the energy fair will also going to be a great opportunity to, um, you know, for the public to interact with different type of vendors with, you know, so that they can answer all the questions that they may have. And we will also be there from the university uh, providing all type of resources to better understand what's happening in the territory and how to make best decisions. No, um, Director Fleming, um, you got two dates designated for the fair, um, Saturday, October 15th in St. Thomas at the UVI, uh, campus, uh, sports and fitness center. And I believe that getting renamed today, the name and the rename Eldridge Blake, they're renaming that, that, that facility oh, wow. okay. after Eldridge Blake today. So congratulations to Eldridge Blake and, uh, all of his people, uh, over there at Great Virgin Islander. And they're going to be renaming that um, facility in his name in St. Thomas, St. Thomas Cat. Uh, someone to definitely be proud of, the great Eldridge Blake. And then 15 days later on St. Croix, it's, it's, it's pretty much a, a replica of what's going to take place on St. Thomas 15 days before. Yep, definitely. Um, I, th- there, I think there might be there might be some slight variation in in, part- in who uh, some of the people who are on, on the pl- on the panels, but for the most part, we want to make sure that the sa- the information. I mean, this is information that's valuable to every Virgin Islander. Uh, so we wanted to ensure that uh, we have a presence and an opportunity for uh, for the, the community to engage on both districts. Uh, and so, yeah, so expect expect very similar uh, functions at on both dates, the fifteenth and the thirtieth. Uh, the fifteenth on St. Thomas, as you said, and the thirtieth on St. Croix. Okay, okay, good, Mr. Jaffos. Let me ask you this question because I, you know, we hear from Mr. Fleming all the time, so I got um I gonna lean on you. Shoot, uh, today, um, if we were to get all of the dollars necessary, what would be a well diversified energy template here in the Virgin Islands. Assuming we had all the dollars necessary um, to actually uh, build and incorporate the requisite infrastructure, what kind of mix are we looking for? Well, mix and diversity is kind of the two, those two words are the main important thing for that. So ultimately, we, we need to recognize that there are resources readily available to us. Um, we just need, like you said, those dollars that are that are there. Uh, and it's also about the transition. So it's it's not something, even if we had all the money in the world, it's not something that we could happen overnight. Um, that, that smooth transition uh, is, is the key to it. So as far as the diversity grid, uh, diversity in the mix that we have here, we obviously would need to, to lean on solar where solar is readily available. Um, we've actually been doing some work with uh, CGTC, Greg and Ariel, who are on the line with us uh, looking at, and that's part of our comprehensive plan, looking at the future of the Virgin Islands. So that's essentially looking at what's the viability of the different energy uh, sources that we have available. Obviously, depending on the, the geographical uh, and topographical layout of the of the islands, it's different. Uh, St. Croix is more readily available for solar, um, and then St. Thomas is not doesn't have as much available land or or uh, just the topographical the topogra- layout. Yeah, the terrains is not really necessarily uh, conducive to that. Uh, it has some there. Um, but 
but we have to look at the how we can diversify and and look towards resources that we have readily available. So be it wind, uh, be it uh, hydrogen storage of solar power. These are all kind of emerging technologies that are there that are, you know, kind of coming out. So I mean, all the dollars um, could definitely help diversify and make it more resilient, which I think is kind of the first piece is making sure that our our base infrastructure is there to support these new technologies, these emerging technologies. Um, and moving the territory towards that. And it begins with efficiency and it begins with people being knowledgeable of their home and how they can be as efficient as possible, reduce their impact um, and make sure that they're not putting the strain that they need to on themselves, on their pocket, um, on the power provider. Um, and I think that you said it, the diversity and the mix is kind of the thing is looking towards what we can do. And we're developing pilot programs and things like that uh, to kind of help us figure out what, what the best course is and, and how it can be best received by the general public, uh, the governing bodies and, and uh, the territory as a whole. Ms. Stokes, what's the, um, I'm going to come back to you, uh, director, in a little bit. Uh, Ms. Stokes, what, what's the data telling you? I mean, you're collecting data, you're analyzing this um, uh, at, the, at the Green Technology Center. Uh, where where are we now? Um, where do you think we we, we should be um, based on what the data is telling you? And are you um, relaying these needs as it relates to resources um, to get us to where we need to be so we can understand or actually realize um, you know a, a true diversified energy portfolio um, where we not only um, diversify but we're actually looking at being leaders in the region. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think in terms of where we are now, um, we we're, we have a main focus on fossil fuels. And while we do have some solar uh, plants on the island, then I think that a lot of uh, the goal is to increase this number and to have more uh, of this available to us. And so some of the data that we're looking at is where can we place some of these uh, new solar facilities. Uh, and so I'll, I'll let Greg follow up on this in terms of some of the um, the places that, that we've identified, but that's really uh, one, one thing is to look at where can it even be? Um, and this depends on, as, as uh, Jeff, um, Michael Jaffer said, this depends on the terrain um, as well as the orientation of, of where the slope is facing. We, um, and, uh, and then also, if it's the land is even available uh, to us or if it's maybe privately owned or something like that. And so identifying these spaces is really important in this transition. Um, and, and it allows us to uh, to make sure that we're able to to get to these goals that we want. Um, so Dr. Cornell, um, a different type of terrain on St. Thomas, but we identify um, some of those flat areas where we could um, you know, incorporate the solar, but we, we got one over there in the Duno area, right? We can you repeat the, the question? We don't, 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 don't we have a solar field over in the Duno area? Oh, we do, we do, and uh, and it's definitely something that you know, uh, can be we can do more in terms of solar field on St. Thomas, it's just going to be a bit more costly, uh, uh than what we can do on St. Croix. Uh, from a data point of view, what we find is. Um, you know, uh, uh, we need to look at it on, on two different levels. The first level is at the utility scale, and then the second level is at the household scale. At the utility scale, uh, as Ariel uh, mentioned, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of available, available um, sort of potential uh, to build more farms. It's going to be easier on St. Croix 
especially on the South Shore and St. Croix, and I think the, the board and the governor sort of uh, expressed of, you know, having St. Croix as, you know, off the grid as possible is definitely possible because of the, the amount of land. So negotiation will have to be done, and that's where we are trying to figure out, you know, economically what does that mean um, to get all the land required to get some oil 100% solar because technically it is on paper feasible. Um, so we are, that's a discussion that, uh, that's an analysis that we're starting to do now. St. Thomas, uh, we can develop more land uh, for solar. It's going to be a bit more costly because there's going to be some significant earthwork that needs to be done to ensure that the foundation, you know, are correct, etc. Um, and it's unlikely that we will have enough land um, for the 100%, you know, solar uh, from a utility scale uh, point of view on St. Thomas, and same for St. John. So, so then when we do what we need to do is then start to turn and, and, and looking at what can be done, you know, at a household level, what can be done with buildings. How can we sort of, excuse me, increase the amount of adoption of, of renewable uh, systems by, by, you know, people like you, me, uh, etc. And, um, you know, if we do that, we can continue to reduce our dependence on fossil fuel and at the same time increase our resilience because, you know, if something happens to the grid, we still then have access to some level of power. So that's 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 where we, we, we sort of, the data is telling us right now. Um, but what the data is also telling us is that um, the, even though, you know, as you drive around, you see a lot of houses with solar, it's, it's not a lot. We have, you know, less than 10% of the buildings that, you know, have solar in the territory. We actually counted all the solar systems. And so there's a lot of food for, for growth, especially when we're looking at low and moderate income uh, uh, sort of household. Uh, you know, they are the, 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 the adoption rate is the lowest for these, these classes of, of people. And so, um, you know, that's what we really want to, I think, now in terms of at least that's uh, uh, what we think we should be uh, uh, going now is start to sort of increase the rate of adoption and start targeting a wider range of, of folks uh, who can uh, uh, sort of you know get those systems and that's uh, a lot of the work that the director Fleming and 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 his uh, assistant director uh, Jeffers are working on and I'm sure they're going to be talking about that very shortly okay. um, so and that's also the type of thing what we'll do yeah. is what we'll do is we'll take a break right now. I will pick up the discussion there because I got a question to ask um, Director Fleming with respect to 100% solar, but yet looking for diversification. Reconcile that for the listening audience, if you will. We'll be back right after this. Banking for your business. Bank of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go, and our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallows Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. BankofStCroix.com. If you're worried your friend may be struggling, remember, you don't have to be there to be there. 
You can say how are you or get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You could chat on the game, kick off your flip flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at seizetheawkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. What is dedication? My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between. I think a parent's job is to protect our children but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. And we're back here uh, analyzing this, the Power Hour, uh, the first uh, Friday of the month, and today is October the 7th, uh, 2022. We got uh, Energy Office Director Kyle Fleming, we got his Deputy Director Michael Jaffers, and we got uh, Miss Ariel Stokes uh, from the Caribbean, UVI Caribbean Green Technology Center, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then uh, Dr. Guadel, turn off your mic there. Turn off your turn, turn off. I can hear you. I can hear you. Yeah. And uh, th- there you go. And, uh, and Dr. Greg Guanell, um, Hazard Mitigation and Resilience Director or Planner? Um, I'm actually the director for the Caribbean Green Technology Center. Oh, you're the director the, at the Green Technology Center. Okay, good. Okay, good. So, uh, Director Fleming, if we say we want 100% solar, Explain, break it down for the public. If we're talking diversification, but 100% solar, um, diversification at 100% is like oil and water. <laughs> so ex- explain how we do that. That's number one. And number two, um, how late are we, though, to the dance with respect to a full commitment to solar, given how Barbados, Barbados is actually, I would think, the lead uh, in, in this region, in, in the Caribbean. They had made the commitment 20 years ago and you know they were bragging that in doing so they were printing money they were literally telling us this at conferences that it did them uh well uh i heard that december 2005 at a caribbean basin conference in miami um 17 years ago thereabouts or close to it and here we are we're still talking about a commitment from an infrastructure standpoint where solar is concerned. So are we late to the dance? I mean, I don't think you could ever be late because sun is in abundance and it's a natural el- a natural element, but um, in terms of, you know, that and the other elements that we could we could look at, and again, wanting to embrace um, these this, this uh, these alternative forms of energy so that we could provide leadership in the region, given, you know, we have support from Uncle Sam that a lot of other uh, entities in the Caribbean don't, 
Let's be realistic here. How do we go about truly maximizing this particular initiative and this vision? Yeah, I, th- I would say I don't think we're. I would say we are late in in terms of just pure solar adoption. But I think that the reality is we're right on time for a more sustainable transition because let's say five, 10 years ago, uh, if we had continued down the track of uh, the, the type of solar that we have, utility scale solar, for example, that we have here, uh, without storage, we really could have only ever gone so far. Uh, and storage has been kind of a game changer, especially from the utility scale of solar and especially for you know, smaller regions such as us. In the States, you know, they've been able to just keep on pumping out solar, but you know, you're adding you know, even a couple hundred megawatts, maybe even a gigawatt to terawatt-sized grids, whereas we here have a very finite grid. Uh, and so just, just saturating it with solar without a battery to actually apply the, the kind of control and balance to really extract the most value of that renewable resource, um, that really wouldn't, we wouldn't have allowed us to really fully maximize or leverage that, that opportunity. So right now, I think we're in a perfect space where the battery technology has come so far, uh, what costs have come down significantly, though right now it's a little bit more challenging because the rest of the world is also kind of in that same uh, position or has that really heavy appetite for this transition as well. So now we got maybe some other elements of competition, uh, supply chain competition. But overall, where solar and batteries are at both from everything from the residential to the utility scale, uh, our commitments, our, our recent commitments have are, are well aligned with the industry as a whole. So I don't think we're behind in that regard, uh, and from a, a true impact standpoint. Um, and I think that's why we're taking a lot of the efforts that we are now to uh, actually. Uh, get get aligned and, and kind of just continue to work along the trajectory that we're on right now. Okay, okay, good. Now, um, you know, one of my, my listeners, um, Dr. Gwenel, one of my listeners um, said, uh, hold on there, in St. Thomas, let me see, hold on, I'll make sure I, sit, uh, I drop this correctly. Uh, supplement with wind in St. Thomas to what we have right now. What's the reality of, of that, uh, given the terrain and how what St. Thomas look like, I'll ask you first, uh, and then I'll come back to um, Deputy Director Jaffers as well, because um, we're guided by data, and and you know we're looking at the terrain and what have you. A lot of mountains over there, a lot of funnels for 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 wind wind, wind movement and all that stuff. Is it real? So we have a lot of wind potential. Um, on, on all islands, uh, that is very true. But again, we need to think about, you know, the, the practicality um, and, and, and also some of the physics. Wind is a little bit more complicated because um, solar, you can have one panel next to the other, next to the other, as long as, you know, the sun is shining, uh, you, get, you get power. Wind, um, if you have one turbine, uh, it's okay. But if you have two turbines next to each other, what happens is that the first turbines, you know, modify the wind field, and that can have consequences on the ability for the second turbine to, you know, uh, uh, generate power. And there are other things to to also consider. So wind is is actually a little trickier uh, when it comes to uh, figuring out the best sites because we 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 have to take into account the the terrain, the geology. Uh, because also the foundation, uh, when you when you build a wind turbine, you're talking about you know an extremely heavy uh, type of equipment. Uh, so the foundation need to be solid. So long story short, um, 
there there is a lot of potential um but when we sort of identify sites that are you know feasible uh the best site on saint thomas is uh, actually bovoni behind the landfill um that's the a site that you know has good terrain good wind where you can space the turbine uh, uh properly there are a few little spots on the north side of the island you know by the border area but then access becomes a bit of a problem so um yeah, so we also have looked at, you know, turbine and wind turbine sites for both St. Thomas uh, and St. Croix and St. John, identify some sites and made some recommendation uh, uh, to Director Fleming. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where we are with wind. A lot of potential, but uh, just a limited amount of options uh, because of some engineering consideration. Mr. Jeffers, when, when I'm in St. Thomas and, and I'm in the Haven site area, and I'm looking up, I'm looking north, and I see that whole hillside there. And um, green, green has ever a lot of, a lot of, a lot of altitude. Um, isn't isn't altitude a a favorable attribute if we were to go to win? In, well, in principle, Mr. Jaffers, or we're just looking for for areas where we're getting. Consistent wind circulation, regardless of altitude. It's altitude's not. I mean, we're looking at the actual wind physics that go along with it. So mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say that altitude's necessarily a direct factor. I think it's more to Dr. Gwinnell's point. Um, not only uh, the slope, uh, the effect factor in for the the construction mm -hmm. uh, aspect of it, but it's also you know the consistency of the the wind in the area, the disturbance from other turbines, disturbance from other um, hillsides. But I, I'm not the the expert in that area, so Dr. Gwinnell and, and the director would be more kind of geared towards that. Yeah, one of the other challenges when you think of um, that land, I know I can visualize the area that you're speaking of, mm -hmm. um, and I, and I think of you know, one of the things that you also see along that ridge line. Uh, is an extensive amount of already established uh, residential homes. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, one of the, the concepts that have been very pervasive in the States, for example, is uh, it's called NIMBY, which is not the not in my backyard not, yeah, theory yeah. Um, or concept. And, uh, you know, when, when we think of uh, it, that tends to be in places, uh, there was a big one in, in Martha's Vineyard uh, or at kind of the coast of Massachusetts where they were looking at doing some off, even offshore wind. Uh, and you know those high affluent areas were like, well, we don't want to see. We like our clear horizon. We don't want to see these white, you know, behemoths of you know, even while they're serving a purpose, you know, there's just sensitivities around that. And an area such as you say on the on that ridge line in St. Thomas, uh, there are a lot of other logistical challenges. But I could certainly see a visibility and an and issue that people could take up, especially trying to intermix infrastructure like that with uh, established residential communities as well. Mm -hmm. So that's what you typically see. I mean, if a lot of times well, where you well, see well, these farms is well, in, well, when it was brought to us that same. Uh, legislature 2005-2006 aesthetics clearly is a problem you know people ain't want you know yeah. yeah yeah we want we want the cost of energy and the potential for a reduction in costs um to be realized but i don't really want it impacting my utopia yeah. you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. I, I like i like how i got it now look someplace else exactly right so, so I'm, I'm sure that's what you're talking about but dr Gwinnell mentioned something about um a turbine. Um, if you're committing to, to wind turbines or to wind energy, um, aren't you buying into the concept of multiple turbines right off the bat? Because he was saying when you got one right next yeah, to the other. 
right? Mm-hmm. You can't. You're not thinking about just putting up one. I mean, even though we have portable turbines, right? Uh, portable uh, units um, that people can put in the yard, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the folding ones the folding and all that ones, stuff, yeah. right? Um, what What about that? I mean, uh, from an affordability standpoint, it's based on your disposable income. But um, we saw one. I remember we. I, I saw a a um the display down there in the Carambola area. Um, this is 15 years ago, 12, 15 years ago. So, uh, you know, w- w- what about what about that? Because and it seemed to me that it was ideal. Um, but they were up on an altitude as well. Yeah, I mean, you see, you do see. I, I think probably on, at least on Saint Croix, uh, the most kind of clear example of ongoing pr- uh, example of that is is on the South Shore. So you have seen there are a couple of houses on the South Shore that you're seeing that have uh, their residential units that that actually were part of the net metering program. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things that, um, while the original net metering program, primarily 99.9% uh, accounted for distributed solar pr- uh, generation, uh, the wind was also an, an, an acceptable or eligible uh, technology. So you do see some some small residential wind turbines that people have deployed. I think at the end of the day, what we, when we're talking about the utility scale, so we're talking about large solar fields, multi-megawatt deployments, uh, that really speaks to uh, to Greg's, what he mentioned earlier in terms of you know making sure that we can actually maximize our area because you're looking at multiple one megawatt, sometimes 1.5 megawatt uh, size turbines, which are massive structures. You're talking about, you know, 100 foot plus structures and then w- w- wide diameters when you look at their uh, actual blade um, area that they that they occupy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are big structures. You know, if, um, I know you spend a lot of time in the States. I'm sure you've seen driving through some of the, the open fields, open plains, and yeah, you man. see how expansive uh, those deployments are. And, and when, you, when you actually park your car and you walk up next to one, you realize oh, yeah. how monstrous these things are. When you use the term behemoth, yeah. that's exactly what they are. I mean, these guys, I mean... You you on a, you you when you're on a highway when when you're on an interstate and you're seeing you see a wind field and you see them it's it's a completely different universe mm-hmm. to when you park up and you stand up right next to one absolutely two 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 different two different worlds let me bring Miss Stokes in Miss Stokes what was saying John um and I know y'all in the in the data gather data gathering business and Saint John is unique because you know we got a limitation with respect to uh, accessible land and and uh, given the park service. Um, presence over there. Um, what's the data telling us, or what, what data have you seen, and what can we look at in terms of uh, providing some uh, relief in terms of costs and and diversification where St. John is concerned? Do you have any data? Um. So for St. John, I, I the the land is limited because the majority of it is national park, mm-hmm. and so you're not really able to build so many things uh, in that area. But I, I think that there is the opportunity to create uh, like a network of household uh, solar. Um, and, and this has been considered to create this as a microgrid on St. John uh, using residential uh, PV on the rooftop. And so I think this is really where, where St. John is hoping to go in the future. Um, and and probably other people have more to say on that, but I th- I think that's probably the direction St. John is is aiming for. Mr. Jeff, right. is any, anything about St. John? Um, just just you, you've, been, you've been over you've been over there and check out St. John. You, we know, uh, you like St. John or what? 
I, I love St. John. Actually, uh, on that note, we, we actually have a team from the energy office is going to be in St. John at the marketplace at 10 a.m. today. Okay, good. Um, so we'll be there kind of talking about energy. Good segue. Uh, they'll be talking about energy efficiency. Well, I, well, I didn't know this. That's, so, so that's all. That's all divine. We'll, we'll have yeah. some representatives there talking about some of the programs we're doing uh, also by energy efficiency in the home. But I uh, absolutely love St. John. Yeah. Um, to, to Ariel's point, though, just kind of get back on track. The, the virtual power plant concept. Um, when we're talking about diversifying uh, and we're talking about solar and 100% solar and things like that, it's that, that kind of comes into play as well because virtual power plant, the concept is that um, we're able to utilize any excess. Uh, if your battery is full, anything excess from your system is going back to, uh, to the utility and then that can be used to redistribute. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about 100% solar, we don't just say that we have fields out there and large uh, plants that are producing the solar. We also mean that we're utilizing that. Uh, additionally, places like Hawaii, um, they have they have their gems program and from that uh from their uh their battery storage program they have times where they're able to actually pull from batteries so if they need to pull from the battery we're not saying that that's something that would be done here but just to kind of give you an idea of where there's an additional mix is that they're able to set a time you as the consumer there they can say okay would you allow us to pull 20% of your battery down? If you're at hundred percent, can we pull down to 80% from yours to supplement the grid mm-hmm. and we'll pay you for that. Um, and so those are the kind of things that we have to look at, you know, into the future. We look towards the water and power authority. We look towards kind of the goals that we have, but that's kind of to, to Ariel's point is that we, we can use that, but additionally their, their resources come from St. Thomas. So it's, it's kind of a joint thing where we have to think about, you know, we're not just isolating St. John. We want to keep St. John beautiful, mm-hmm. right? We, and we want to make sure that they, that they keep that parkland. So we don't want to, we don't, Want to add to that and and mess up additional beauties that we have there. But 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 Mr. Guanel, given the or Dr. Guanel, I apologize. Given the um the Park Service presence, which is real uh, on St. John, what about conversations um, with the Park Service to see how we could you know work towards you know you know using I mean the 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 the, the well, sure I say this right right the the vision of Park services are to protect our natural resources. We understand that. But the uniqueness of the St. John area, the St. John situation, where I believe it's 50%, uh, at one time I thought it was 65%, I believe the real percentage is like 56% park service. How about, um, what about doing something that benefits everybody, including uh, park, park service property and using some of the, some, some, some of the natural elements um, to benefit the island and the people? That's what it's all about. Um, yeah, no, I think you're making a, a lot of good points. Um, I also think that it's a very uh, complicated uh, question. Yes, yes, it is complicated because because and, and you're right, you're right. Uh, I, I don't want to ignore the the political dynamic that we're dealing with when we're talking about the park service. I mean, that, that's just a reality. So you you're absolutely correct, but but at the same I, time, I do. I do know that the park service. Uh, we've we've had some some conversation in the past with the superintendent, and uh, he expressed the, the desire to move towards more sustainable solutions. And so, so a discussion can be had now. After that, I think you know it's it's above my pay grade. Um, but you're making good points. You're making <laughs> I, I, a lot I of think good what points. what what one thing though. I know. The, 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 let, me, let me get to the back. Okay. I know we come back and we talk about the, the unique situation oh. in Saint John for a little bit. We'll be back right after this.
Good morning, neighbor. I see you got your bumper stickers and yard sign up, Paulie. Yes, I'm so ready for this election season. Me too. Just waiting for the info on the polling places and then ballots. What polling places? You mean voting centers? The election system is using voting centers this year, where you can go anywhere across the island, walk in, fill out a ballot. Just bring your ID. Really? Because my daughter lives in Tutu, but walk all the way by the airport and would try to run back home before the sun goes down to vote. Nope. You're no longer stuck to just your neighborhood on election day. Voting centers mean you can vote anywhere in your district. And the next time, try the early voting option too. Skip the line altogether on election day. Girl, you have all the good tips this year, man. So, who's going to win? Ha! Read my yard sign. Then pick any voting center. Just remember, voting is not just your right. It's, it's the, the right, right thing, thing to do. A message from the election system of the Virgin Islands. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. From the terrifying to the beautiful. I was in Tanzania studying chimpanzees. To the comforting. I'm with two award-winning chefs from Slovenia. To places lived and places unknown. In this small village in West Africa. We start in Jamaica. We check in with New Zealand footballer. South, South Africa's The Glenbury. US and the EU. In, in Myanmar. Here in the UK this month. To all parts of the world. The BBC World Service. Starting at 2 a.m. right here on WTJX FM joke from Dr. Gwinnell. Dr. Gwinnell said, um, that's above my pay grade. So, <laughs> so I like that one. But check this out. Um, you know, like I tell everybody every day, uh, the strength of the show is my audience. So I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, re- read one text, at least. Love this crew. The Anguilla Bovoni dumps are moving towards closure. Lots of acreage within them are already closed and offer prime real estate on both Islands for solar and wind. NIMBY would not really apply. That's the Bovoni pretender, right? But let me let me wrap up the Saint John, the uniqueness of the Saint John thing. And of course, um, we're glad at least that you said you've had a conversation with the superintendent, Doctor Gwinnell. Uh, yeah, we had a, a conversation with him. Uh, it was a wide-ranging conversation, and uh, uh, my recollection is that yeah, he expressed support to think about how to move the parks. Uh, toward more sustainable sort of you know solutions um so there is something but uh yeah i will let uh kyle maybe follow up on some of that yeah the park service um dr director fleming um you know you know we love what they provide um nationally 
right? Remember the Park Service ain't just a Virgin Islands thing. You know, Yellowstone, all these, right? They, they're there for a reason. We got natural resources and we won't. We don't want them on the mic. We understand that. The uniqueness of St. John has to be brought into, into um, you know, the discussion, right? We got 3,500 to 4,000 people living on St. John. And half the, more than half the island is off limits. So right, right there, we got you know, that, that that uniqueness. You know, you know that 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 speaks for itself. So, and then the 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 fact that it is arguably the most beautiful of the three main islands. Even though I'm biased towards Saint Croix, I live here. Mm-hmm. But if I take off my if I take off my partiality hat, and I say, pick one. To me, Saint John kind of like has a, a, a look about it, a feel about it that allows it to just stand out, right? So we want to protect that. But the people that got to live and cost is, you know, cost of living is really the big issue right now, mm-hmm. you know? So how do we, you know, reconcile and balance all of these these variables? And I, I want to get my Stokes back in the conversation because, you know, the name of the show is Analyze This and that's what we do. And it's, I want it to be data-driven and that we're looking at documentation Numbers, like they say over there in St. Thomas, to help us, you know, get to, you know, understand what's going on. Well, well, one thing, one thing I think to, to highlight relative to St. John, I think makes, even despite the fact that seventy-five percent, I think it's about seventy-five percent of it is national park. The reality is, even though a lot of that land that is national park, and so it's theoretically untouchable, um, it's also incredibly di- difficult to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that terrain is some of the most uh, some of the steepest grades across mm-hmm. the territory. And then, of course, you know, we had that unfortunate situation with WAPA itself where the, we, we're looking to develop land and then we end up on a burial site, right? Yeah, well, that's when they were, that, that's when they were doing the undergrounding, undergrounding and they, they, yeah. they ran into, um, yeah, they were right, right in Cruise Bay, right into some, uh, some, mm-hmm. some, some, some remnants. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, I think, is, that, you know, that's between St. Thomas and St. John, you know, again, like that, the, the terrain challenges there, start taking the feasibility I think to what Greg talk, spoke about earlier in terms of yes can it be done is there land available sure but at, at a cost and it, it gets to the point where if we're look if the cost of developing a renewable system if the capital expenditure due to the integration because at the end of the day the panels are the panels right the panels don't the, the, the cost of the panels doesn't vary much from project to project it's really the cost of integration what does it take to put a structure in place that can securely not just not just put the panels but securely you know we, we talk about we, where we are in a hurricane uh hurricane alley we're not just putting things down and hoping you know without any risk or vulnerability so these these things have to be structurally sound and trying to if you look at the cost of structurally sound in some of the most difficult terrain i think we just have to be realistic about what can be done because yes if, if 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 the cost of integration ends up being you know, results in renewables that are more costly than the incumbent, like the fuel alternative, then we're really not getting the best, you know, bang for our buck from a uh, from a cost saving standpoint. So that's where, again, why so much of the focus has been on St. Croix, right? We're not talking about how do we work a- along a cliff face. We're talking about how do we develop solar on you know, flat terrain, easily easily uh, integrated spaces that can allow us to get the most value for that solar. Because again, the panels don't change, costs don't change. But if that cost of integration is 10x because of the type of site work that needs to be done, the type of earth change that needs to be done to integrate onto a hillside, then we start losing some of that value. I, I really like the point that your your uh, the caller brought up relative to looking at redeveloping 
some of these, uh, you know, potentially hazardous sites or less uh, favorable sites such as the landfills. And actually, as part of, we haven't talked too much about it today, but part of the uh, the Biden Infrastructure Reduction Act, you know, they've been identifying uh, basically non-ideal development sites, such as what they call brownfields. So these are old coal mines, old zinc smelting sites, like things, you know, for, for in the part of the industrial early part of the industrial revolution of America. A lot of that infrastructure, old coal mines still exist, and they're prioritizing and actually driving more incentives towards developing renewables on those, uh, you know, historically uh, displaced or, 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 you know, compromised sites. I, see that's, I think that's a perfect opportunity here in the Virgin Islands, especially here on St. Croix. We look at not just the landfill, but also looking at the Renaissance Park, Alcoa. That's a significant site of, you know, former industrial development that's Mm -hmm. no longer in use. If we can leverage the incentives that the federal government is already trying to to promote in terms of wanting to see these sites not just sit in, you know, whatever uh, state of, uh, you know, decrepitation or just kind of um, uh, kind of isolation to actually be turned into a viable resource, a viable renewable resource. So we certainly look forward to trying to leverage those uh, incentives to, to, to promote you know, larger scale and more cost effective deployment of renewables. And I think there are some unique situations that the territory presents to enable that. That's, that's good. Ms. Um, Stokes, um, you do work at the University of Virgin Islands, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we have an obligation to educate our people, right? And um, gathering information, right? And then analyzing it and putting it in its, its proper context. Uh, people tend to take that you know, for granted, but it's very, very important um, from the standpoint that, in particular in the Virgin Islands, when we're talking energy and we're talking terrain, even though we're 40 miles apart and we're, you know, U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Croix, completely different from a topographical standpoint than St. Thomas and St. John. I think we can all agree on that, right? Everybody? Yes, absolutely. Right? So, so when you're gathering that data, right, Miss um, Stokes, well, how can you use that to encourage our young people and those who want to further the education uh, at the university um, to get them to be a, a little bit more astute and, and knowledgeable about what we're dealing with here because to address our energy crisis in the territory, everybody is going to have to play a part. Um, not everybody has the same means, um, but some intellectual capacity, um, some discipline, um, you know, and then, of course, the means, the resources. Uh, if we were to do that, then we could address this because as a former senator, knowing that when I first got in in 2005, the only, the only acronym that existed in the Virgin Islands was, was the LIAC. Not even WAPA, just LIAC killing we, LIAC killing we. And we're still in a protracted energy crisis. Now, of course, a lot of that is external, not necessarily uh, internally driven. But we, you know, we are limited, you know, we, we got to produce our own energy. We imp- we're not a part of any grid. So things of that nature, how can we, you know, using this forum and just having a conversation, encourage people to, li- to be a little bit more astute to embracing data and allowing uh, the use of that data in its proper context uh, to make for uh, a more... Uh, affordable, reliable, efficient Virgin Islands where energy and cost of living is concerned? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I would encourage them to attend the energy fair um, because we're really going to be discussing <laughs> these You're topics good. there. I like that. I like, I like that. I like Plug extraordinaire over here. You're good. You're good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
but also at the energy fair for UVI students, there's an opportunity to actually tackle these problems. It's it's like a hack fest, which is a version of a hackathon that we have at UVI every year. Um, and this year it's kind of, it's joined with the energy fair. So the topics are energy related. And so UVI students get to work in groups and hack their way through these, uh, these this energy crisis and these, these um, problems and come up with solutions. And at the end of the fair, they're actually gonna be pitching their results to the public. And so that's a really um, great way to be involved if you are at UVI. Um, and to really get you know get your hands dirty and and look at this um, and how we can improve the Virgin Islands and how young people can be involved. Michael Jeffers, you wanted to, to chime in there. Uh, just kind of um, picking up off the question in general about the education piece because we all know that that's you know that's the key, right? Education is the key. That is what can bring us all forward to the future to um, the opportunities we have available to us and. Um, to Errol's point about the energy fair, that's that's a big that's that's the whole point. The whole point is that we want to help educate um, at any level. You could we we have a very wide range of uh, knowledgeable experiences there, um, but as a whole, uh, you know our our dedication this year to the the director uh, Fleming's uh, comment earlier. We intend on doing more education outreach events uh, throughout this fiscal year as well with COVID events lifting. So uh, we're looking forward to that engagement and that communication piece. And the energy fair is a, a good starting point, uh, as well as our, our event today at the marketplace in uh, St. John. Um, these are opportunities for the public to ask those questions. Also, you can always reach out to our the offices. And if you have those types of questions, you know, we're, we're readily available to assist. And that's good. Dr. Guadal, you want to chime in there? Cause you know, you, you come from oh, Saint Guadeloupe. Martinique. Martinique. Yeah, Martinique. Yes. For for the France, right? Don't get it for the France. For the, that's right. So, so thank you. He's from town, France. Yeah, my, my town is for the France is the capital. I, I was born there, but I grew up in Trinité, which is on the other side of the island. Anyways, um, it's so, uh, so, yes, how, so, so how so how how do we make the region better? I mean, I mean, I know that we 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 have an obligation, you know, to look to look out for the homeland of Virginia and all that stuff. But we are part of the region. How do how do we make the region better? This, this should this shouldn't just be a territorial thing. Um, it should be a regional thing, shouldn't it be? In in the grand well, scheme, uh, it, it it should be, and I think it is. Um, I think it is because there is a lot of collaboration and and learning that you know you mentioned, you know Barbados at the very beginning of of our show, and I know that Director Fleming is is very is looking you know at Barbados and and what they're doing and learning from Barbados. The keynote speaker. Actually, for the um, for the event is a, very, a, a young, uh, uh, a very young, talented uh, a person from Barbados uh, named Martin Ford. Uh, he's going to provide, you know, I think a, a great, great sort of uh, overview of of how we can tackle the energy challenge as a region. Um, so we we also I know that the, the, the energy office is in constant discussion and, and dialogue with all the other islands, learning from what they're doing because we have the same challenges, high energy costs, dependence on fossil fuel, dependence on trade, etc. Uh one power plant per island, all that stuff. So uh, I, I'm sure Carl can can expand more, but there is a lot of collaboration and dialogue that happens, you know, among the different islands within us. So to your point, yes, it's 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 one region. Well, one, one, one thing I could say directly to that, and, and I agree fully with, with Greg in terms of the, 
uh, the fact that the challenges that we face are similar challenges that are faced throughout the region, especially from you know the Virgin Islands really going down. Obviously, Puerto Rico, Santa, uh, Dominican Republic, and Cuba are much larger systems. But if we really look at the most relative comparisons, if we start going down the chain of islands to Trinidad, that's really where we see this very similar pockets of, of issues. But I think the big difference, and I think it's something that's coming to uh, fruition right now, is the Virgin Islands has an opportunity to lead by example, almost specifically because we have access to resources that other islands in the region do not. That's right. We, you know, if we, when we when we talk about the, um, the the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act, that is putting direct dollars in the Virgin Islands, you know, th- through the NGA office, but also through a lot of other agencies as well, uh, to support transitions, to be creative, to push the envelope, to experiment, um, to deploy programs, to expand education. Uh, to, to give a perfect example, our uh, our state energy program, which is our, uh, which is one of the uh, major programs in our agency, we get funds from the federal government on an annual basis. In this year alone, we've had those funds 10x through um, recent uh, through the Inflation Reduction Act. That's that's 10 times more the dollars to continue to push our uh, rebate programs to add workforce development, training on electric vehicles, um, diversifying the actual programs that we offer. So what we have in terms of the federal resource, especially as it pertains to to energy, I mean, Biden was just in Puerto Rico last week after tropical or Hurricane Fiona devastated Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico again. He was was there on Monday. It was actually Monday. On Monday? Yeah. Sorry, Monday. Yes, earlier this week. Um, and, And committed to... Uh, tr- try, uh, more aggressively transitioning the, the power system in Puerto Rico. We're right next door. Mm-hmm. If, if you know that those commitments, we can leverage that that enthusiasm, that desire, that commitment. We can leverage that as well here in the territory. And that's again, that's something that's unique to the Virgin Islands, unique to Puerto Rico in this region. But if we're able to deploy these solutions, it's a very clear lesson uh, to actually be passed on down down the chain as well. And I think that's really how we can be impactful. And, and, and guide the region uh, in certain transitions, especially on the energy front, because we just have access to resources that allow us to experiment, like allow us to explore mm-hmm. and differentiate. That I mean, they're, they're having to try to you know chase down investment, foreign investment, yeah, working we, it into uh, their rates. We, we, we just got to accept the fact that you know our, our situation in this particular uh, area is beneficial to us, unlike other yeah. uh, neighboring areas. All we're gonna do is we're gonna take a break when we come back. Uh, we'll get closer remarks from everybody here. Um, analyze this, the Power Hour, first Friday of the month. Be back uh, right after this break. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. El sistema de elecciones de las Islas Vírgenes lo está haciendo más fácil para que tú formes parte de nuestro equipo por medio de nuestro programa de voluntarios. Estamos en busca de personas buenas como tú que puedan proveer a cada votante el apoyo que necesitan para que efectivamente puedan participar en el proceso de votación. Puede comenzar recogiendo y completando la aplicación para voluntarios de cualquiera de nuestras oficinas en el territorio. Usted puede servir como monitor. 
También tienes la opción de convertirte en un facilitador, asegurando que los votantes que están votando por primera vez, los envejecientes y la comunidad de deshabilitados puedan votar con confidencia y acertadamente. Si tienes el tiempo y estás dispuesto a servir, hay un lugar para ti. Solo inscríbete. Si quieres más información, llama al 340-773-1021. Y recuerda, el votar no es solo su derecho, es lo correcto hacer. <música> 